We're in 1 Timothy. I'm sorry, Liberty. I can't believe I offended her already. I didn't even say anything. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And wow, this is amazing to think about. We got to this passage just a week before Christmas and how God planned that all out. This is, I'm just so thankful to the Lord for that. And I want to direct our attention to a few things here and ask you a question and see what you think about this. Have you ever seen or can somebody change without Jesus. Now, we're in church, right? And I know what you're thinking. No, no one can change without Jesus. But before you say that, I've met several people in my life over the journey of life of people who have changed without Jesus. Um, I remember my, one of my first FedEx bosses. His name was Greg. Neat guy, looked just like me, tall, very handsome guy, and um, what, not one amen, but anyway, you know, here's a, here's a really neat guy, and, and what I didn't know in his past life is he used to be a severe drug addict, I mean, he really did drugs, he said, Jeremy, I did everything and anything as hard as I can for a long time, he did heroin, he did cocaine, he did all kinds of drugs, and he was, he, was a, he was unbelievable. But what happened to him? This guy, he got a DUI. Now, let me just tell you what happens with FedEx. If you get a DUI with FedEx, that means you're fired. You're done. You're gone. You're not going to work anymore. This guy got a DUI, and FedEx found out about it and decided not to fire him. They said to him, we're going to give you a second chance. But, Greg, you can't do any more drugs or you're done here. So, Greg, stop using drugs. He stopped drinking. He turned his life around. He turned his life around with no church, no Bible, and no Jesus. That shock you? There are people out there that do it. My brother, um, interesting that, you know, he was looking for different things to try to help him to get off of drugs. He battled drugs since he was 13 years old, even younger than that. All kinds of different drugs. Cocaine, heroin, you name it. And my brother was in Florida. Can anything good come out of Florida? Probably not too much. But there was this rehab place in Florida that I heard about in Tallahassee. This great place that turns people's lives around. So I said to my brother, John, you're there. Why don't you just go to Tallahassee and, and this place will turn your life around. So he goes there and they get him up like at 4 o'clock in the morning. And they say, okay, sir, come to this room. And he walks in this room and everybody's, Jesus, 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 Jesus. He's looking around. These people are nuts. You bring me to this place to get rid of my drug habit and they're sitting there at four o'clock in the morning clapping to Jesus? And so my brother said, I can't, I can't do that. I, I'm sorry, Jeremy, I tried, but I, I, th th these people are crazy. I can't, I, can't, I really can't do this. So he got into another place. 
a um, couple of years later. And believe it or not, this place, by God's grace, started working in his life. And he stopped using drugs eight years ago. No more drugs. And he said, Jeremy, we're going to be giving testimonies out. I want you to listen on Facebook and see our testimony and see how, you know, I want you to hear what God is doing and all that. So Katie and I, we tuned into it and they were giving like testimony night and John was giving a testimony that night. But before he got up there, this lady gets up there and she starts playing the guitar and she goes this, she goes like this. She goes, we're going to worship God today. And really, I don't care who your higher power is. As long as you have one. And we're going to worship God. Does it really matter who our higher power is? I mean, think about that for a moment. I mean, that statement stuck with me. Because here are people who are really trying to change their lives. And, and, and yet, the, the person saying, hey, who cares who your higher power is? As long as you have one, you could change your life. And they miss... 1 Timothy 3.16. If anybody tells you all you need is a higher power, I want you to turn to this verse. I, I want you to look at this. This is not the John 3.16s of the Bible, but this is a 3.16. And this is a very powerful 3.16. Because in it, we're going to see something that we need to understand here this morning before we miss the real reason for, for Christmas. Notice this here how he starts off the verse in 1 Timothy 3.16 with this. He says, by common confession. In other words, literally it's only one word there in the Greek. What he's saying there is this. This is undeniable. This is uncontestable. This is beyond question. This is not your opinion and my opinion, and we can both have our opinions. This is outside of our opinions. This is something that we can't deny. This is something uncontestable. There are certain things in this life that are certain. You want to hear one of them? The Broncos are not making the playoffs. Amen? <laughs> that is certain. Not one amen. They had a chance last night. Sorry, you blew it. You're gone. The Steelers are not making. There's a few teams that are not going to make the playoffs. Those are certain. Wait, stop it. <laughs> now you're getting personal, friend. Remember my background. I made three phone calls and you're done. <laughs> That's probably certain too, isn't it? There are certain things that we can, is beyond us to determine. It is beyond question. And look at this beautiful phrase. This is our common confession. This is what a church confesses. A true biblical church will confess this. This is what will come out of their mouths. That great is the mystery of godliness. Great, and now it's been revealed to us how we can live a life that is God-centered and God-conscious. Like we have a God-conscience. In other words... There is a way that you and me can live a life where we put God first in our lives. There are some people who say, I have God in my life, you know. He's out there. He's there. I believe in him. And that's okay. And he doesn't mess with me. And I don't mess with him. And he's out there. No. This is somebody whose life is centered around God. Not who tries to get God to fit their lives. 
There are many out there who say, okay, God, you can fit my life. As long as you don't mess around me, you can fit my life. No, that's not a God-centered life. He's saying, great has been revealed to us, the mystery, something that's been hidden, but now has been revealed to us how we can have a God-centered life where God is number one on the throne of our lives, where he is the focus of our lives, where he has first place in our lives. How do we do that? Well, we can't do that on our own. The secret to this is all around one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. It's not some higher power. It is the Jesus of the Bible that helps us to be God-centered. Everything centers around him. We must know who he is. We must know why he has come. And we must know how that affects our lives. We're going to see that right here in this passage of Scripture. If you notice here in, in 1 Timothy 3.16, it is all about the person of Jesus Christ. He mentions six statements of Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. Six statements of who he is, why he has come, and what he has done for you and me, and how that is going to affect our lives today. How we can have a life that pleases God. How we can have a life that is centered around God. He's going to show us right here in this passage. I want you to notice these six statements because they're so important to us. Let's look at who this Jesus is and why he has come and how did that affect us today. Notice the first one. It says here, he who was revealed in the flesh. In other words, one guy translates this, God was made meat. He was made flesh. Now, here's what's interesting about this. The whole reason we celebrate Christmas is because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And yet we miss the whole reason for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. We talk about, oh, he was just a little baby there and he was born of a virgin and we sing the beautiful songs away in the manger. La, 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 la. But what we don't understand about the incarnation is that Jesus didn't begin with Mary. Jesus existed forever. He has no beginning. And what we don't understand about the incarnation is that Jesus came not to reign. Jesus came to die. We're going to see here in a moment. What we don't understand about the incarnation is that it fulfills many prophecies. You know how many? 300 when Jesus came. You said 300 things in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus that he fulfilled. Yeah, 300, over 300. I'm going to name every one of them right now. 300 of them. Now you don't want to hear them. You want to know one that's beautiful? Isaiah 9, 6. Let's see if we can say this together. The beautiful verse. For unto us... A child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And he shall be called four things. You remember it? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and the prince of what? Peace. Isn't that amazing? What a God we have. And you talk to a Jewish person and they'll say, yeah, that's my Messiah. That's the one who's going to come. He's going to come and he's going to reign and the government's going to be on his shoulders. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. That's the one. And Jesus isn't our Messiah because your, your Jesus died. You know what you say to him? Thank you for mentioning that. 
Because in Isaiah chapter 9, it tells us what he's going to come and do. In Isaiah 53, it tells us that the Messiah is going to come to die for our sins. Right in your Bible. But I want to show you a verse. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2 for a moment. This is beautiful. If anybody asks you, so why did Jesus have to come? And why did he have to become a man and, 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 and have, take on flesh? Why did, he, why did he have to come and suffer and have a real body and die and bury? And why did he have to do those things? Well, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17 is a beautiful verse. I love, I love this verse. This is, this is an amazing thing when it talks about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that he became a man, fully God, without ceasing to be God, he became man. Look at this here. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things. Think about that for a moment. That Jesus Christ knows how it is to suffer. Jesus Christ knows how it is to be mistreated. Jesus Christ knows how it is to lose someone that he loves. Jesus Christ had to become, it says right here, be made like his brethren in all things. Jesus Christ knows how it is to be tempted. You say, you've been tempted? He's been tempted. He's been tempted by Satan. He's been tempted to the nth degree, but yet without sin. But I want, I want you to look at this. Look what the verse says. Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. You know why Jesus had to come? He had to come and become a man. And now, guess what? He understands what we're going through because he's been through those things. He is a merciful. Sometimes we lack mercy. We go to people and we expect mercy and they give us a smack in the face. We're like, I can't believe this happened to me this week. Well, what did you do to deserve it? Our Lord is merciful. And he understands. And look at this verse. Not only that, he came to make propitiation. There's that word. To appease the wrath of God for the sins of the people. The incarnation is what makes salvation possible. We would not be saved if Jesus didn't leave his glory, come, suffer in a body, be, be crucified in a body, be buried in a body, and raise again in a body. Well, none of us would be saved if it wasn't for that. Amen. The incarnation means that we can be saved, and he understands us. And he fulfilled the demands of God for sin. That's our Jesus. He was made flesh. And then look at this. You say, well, how do we know what he said about himself is true? Notice going back to 1 Timothy 3.16. He was vindicated by the Spirit. In other words, here's what happened. The word vindicated means that he was justified or his claims were true because of what the Spirit did. Men rejected him. Men crucified him as a criminal. Men said all kinds of things about Jesus. Talk to people today. Ask them about Jesus. Some of you say they, they think we're nuts. They say, oh, that Jesus said that. Who wrote the Bible? It was men. What did he say about this? And they say all kinds of things about Jesus. But here's what the Holy Spirit did. 
the Holy Spirit vindicated his claims that he is God. How do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit was instrumental in raising Jesus from the dead. In fact, you ever study the Trinity out? The Trinity, God the Father, raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus himself said, I will die and I, I, can, I have power over my own. I'll lift my own body up. And then the Holy Spirit lifted Jesus from the dead. And listen to this. Romans 1.4 says this, Declared to be the powerful Son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness. It is the Spirit of God that vindicates, that lets us know what Jesus is saying is true. And here's what happened. People who are not saved do not have the Spirit of God. So this seems foolishness to them. But the moment someone believes on Jesus Christ and asks Jesus to come into their lives and to save them, the Holy Spirit comes and now you say, wow, what he said is true. He is God. He is the everlasting God. He is the one that was vindicated, although they rejected him, crucified him, and called him a criminal. He was vindicated by the Spirit. We, we noticed that the Spirit of God was there when, when, when he was baptized, came like a dove. And, and then we see the Spirit of God helped him as he was on the earth and given him power to be able to do miracles. But it was the Spirit of God, don't miss this, that raised Jesus from the dead. And here's what's beautiful about that. Romans 8 says this, the same Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit of God that lives in you. Amen. Wow. He's vindicated by the Spirit. He's seen, look at this next phrase, by the angels. Let me just tell you, our angels were no angels. They were beautiful little angels, but they're no angels. I saw Henry give Eleanor a nice little <laughs> knock in the nose. As cute as Henry is, he ain't no angel. Oh, to be an angel. Think about that for a moment. Where were the angels when Jesus was born? They were right there singing songs. Glory to God in the highest. Goodwill and peace, what? On earth. They were singing. Where were the angels when Jesus got tempted in the desert? The angel came after that and helped him. Where were the angels when, when Jesus was sweating in blood and, and, and sweating drops of blood? And the angel came and strengthened him, says the Bible. Where were the angels when, when Jesus died and he rose again? They were right there saying, your Jesus is alive. Where were the angels when Jesus was ascended into heaven? They were right there. The angels saw everything. But guess what an angel can't do? An angel can't get saved like you and me. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? He was seen by the angels. They saw everything. They, they were there in all parts of his life. But here's what's amazing. The angels right now, you know what they're doing? They're singing to God. They're saying, worthy is the lamb. Read Revelation. And you know why worthy is the lamb? Because even though they can never get saved, they get so excited when somebody gets saved. In fact, the Bible says that they, there's a party in heaven by the angels when they get saved. Someone gets saved. They can't experience salvation, but they rejoice in salvation and they rejoice in the very Lamb of God who provides salvation. He was seen by the angels, seen all over the place. And I love this next part. He was not only seen by the angels, 
He was proclaimed among the nations. Now don't miss this. He's proclaimed. He is heralded. He is spoken of. Among who? The ethnos. The all people tribes. Now, don't get jealous. How many Italians are here today? All right, thank you, Ellie. I brought a few with me. Wow, that's all we have. Nobody else has Italian. But we need to really start witnessing more. Yeah, Mark, you got a little Italian in you. Forget about it, right? Yeah, don't worry about it. Let me just tell you guys something. Don't get jealous at us. Don't get jealous. The early church was all Jewish. That's not fun. No flavor. God had to add a little flavor. Acts chapter 10. You ever read Acts chapter 10? Who got saved? His name was Cornelius. Don't miss this. Cornelius was what? An Italian. God started with us. All right? I, you know, it's just amazing. He said, I got to add a little flavor. I'll throw Italians into the church. Can you imagine the first church? I mean, it's all, you know, Jewish. You pass me this, pass me hey, The guy Cornelius, well, where's the lasagna? Amen? Let's eat. Manja, manja. Come on, let's have a fun. Who's all these people? He started with us. You know what? God doesn't just love Italians. He loves all nations. And I fear sometimes that we get into America and we think that God is an American. That is heresy. God is not an American. He's not. Praise God. If he's anything, he's Italian. He's not an American. Be careful what you call him. But he is to be, notice this in this passage, he is to be proclaimed among every tribe, every people, every language. It doesn't matter to God. It's not like me and you can go and start off a land and say, this is God's land. God wants all the people, all of them. And we are to proclaim. Now, here's where it gets tough. I'm going to ask you guys a, a tough question here. If you had a choice... Between Pizza Hut and Domino's, where would you go? How many would go to Pizza Hut? Raise your hand. Pizza Hut. Wow, I can't believe you guys. Sinners. How many go to Domino's? Yeah, these are God's people. Uh, you know the difference between Pizza Hut and Domino's? You ready for this? Pizza Hut says this. Pizza Hut, well, besides the heartburn. Pizza Hut says this. Pizza Hut says, you come to me and we'll serve you. Domino's says, we will go to you. Even if we have to kill people on the street, we will get to you <laughs> in 30 minutes. We will go through red lights. We will go in the snow. We will get there in 30 minutes because we're not going to. And they changed that because they were really messing around with a lot of things. But Domino's says this, we come to you. There are some churches that do this. If you want Jesus, just come to us and we'll talk to you about Jesus. Where God says, no, that's not how church is done. We go to them. We bring them things. And we say, this is from our church. We love you. Here is the gospel. Read it, please. It will change your life. We go to them. We are dominoes. And what did you say this morning, Bob, about the dominoes? Well, the gospel has a domino effect. Amen. <laughs> so Bob threw out one of his puns. He's trying to get me the gospel has a domino effect. Um, <laughs> Bob, I love you. <laughs> That was a bad one. <laughs> I mean, I like it though. 
Yeah, I'm glad we use it. But really, what we, what we forget here is that he is to be proclaimed. And here's the amazing thing. The responsibility was not given to any angel. It was given to the church to proclaim him. But here's the good news. Look at this. He's proclaimed among the nations. And look at this gospel mission that we have. He's believed on in the world. In other words, as we proclaim Jesus Christ, guess what happens to people? They get saved. And, and, and here's what's amazing is that we don't know who those people are. We just go and preach. And as we preach Christ, guess what's happened? People get saved. It's just amazing. You say, how do I know that the message is going to be received? Here, look in the mirror. Did you receive it? You're proof of this verse. You're right here. You are the one that believed on the, on in the world. You're the one that put your faith in, in Jesus Christ. And so as we proclaim him, here's the response that, that God wants. People need to believe in him, not just acknowledge him, but really receive him and depend upon him and rely on him for salvation. Somebody says, how do I know if I really believe on Jesus Christ? Here's the question. When you stand before God, where are you going to point to get into heaven? Wherever you point shows what you're believing in. If you point to Jesus, you're believing in him. And you say to God, I, I don't deserve to go in here, but Jesus died for my sins, was buried, and rose again, and I trust in him, and you will be saved. He's believed on in the world. And then look at this next one. He is taken up in glory. This is the ascension of Jesus Christ. You say, what happened to Jesus? He, he came. He, he, he suffered. He died. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. And then he ascended into heaven. And you say, why did he ascend into heaven? Well, let me just tell you something. He didn't go there to retire. He didn't just say, okay, I'm done. Thank you. I came. I died. conquered. I'm done. Believe on me. I'm done. No, no. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. You know what Jesus is doing right now? Jesus is preparing a place for you and me. Jesus right now is praying for you and for me. He is our advocate. Jesus right now is living inside of us, as we're going to see here in a moment. He was taken up into heaven, and he has finished his work here on earth, but one day he is coming back to reign here on this earth. You say, Jeremy, that's great. How does this affect me? I mean, yeah, I believe he became a man. I believe that he rose again and he was vindicated by the Spirit. I believe he was seen by the angels. I believe to proclaim him. I believe that people need to believe in him. And I believe that he was taken up. And how does that affect me? Well, let's be honest for a moment. This time of the year is some of the saddest times in our lives. I know we got the smiles and the Merry Christmas and the candy and we get on the scale and our weight goes up. <laughs> but really, this could be a very hard time. I mean, I remember 1992, Christmas Day. Christmas Day. We had this amazing Italian get-together. We're eating like crazy. We can care less. And my brother and my father, they go outside and they start to get into a fist fight. Like, my brother and my father, what, what are you fighting over? What, how do you fight on Christmas Day with Daddy? I said to him. And he said, 
You know why, Jeremy? Because our dad is sick and he's dying. I was 18 years old. I found out my father had HIV. He was a drug addict. And soon he was going to die. And he did a few years later. My Christmas was marred. That turned my Christmas around. I remember that day because I looked up at the sky and I told God, I hate you. I want nothing to do with you. Every Christmas I'm reminded of that day. God's used that because I went off to college and met a believer for the first time and, and I hated God and, and he shared with me the love of Christ and I got saved. And my life changed. There, there are some people who during this time they wish that their loved ones were there. They're not there. Some are spending their first Christmas without a loved one. You say, how can you look in their eyes and say, Merry Christmas? Here's how. Turn with me to Colossians 1.27. And don't miss this. Because this is the greatest truth of Christmas that you'll ever hear. You see, the same Jesus Christ that was made in the flesh, that revealed himself in the flesh, the same Jesus that was vindicated in the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed in the world, believed, and taken up in the glory. Look at this same Jesus. Watch this here. Colossians 1.27. It says this. To whom God willed to make known the, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? What is he revealing to us? Here it is. Which is Christ where? In you. You see, he didn't just come and leave glory to come and just be a little baby for us to sing songs away in a manger. He came to live in us. And the moment we put our trust in Jesus Christ, he comes and he lives in us. And we can say, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what happens to us, regardless of the people who abandon us or, or whatever may happen in our lives, he is in us. The one made flesh, the one vindicated by the Spirit, the one that was seen by the angels, the one that's proclaimed and believed and taken up in the glory is the same one that's inside of me and inside of you. So let me give you three things real quick. I want you to notice. The first thing is this. This Christmas, you, Jesus is the very key to godliness. Don't miss this. If somebody says to you, what, what, what are you celebrating this Christmas? They would say, I'm celebrating my kids came home. Or I'm celebrating this. Don't, don't miss. We're celebrating that God left his glory to come and die for us. And that he is living in us. And because of that, I can have a God-centered life by his power. Don't miss that he's the key. Not some higher power. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. Don't miss this next thing here. You're never alone. Never. Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. In those moments when we're sitting there and we're like, boy, I wish so-and-so was with me and, I, and you feel so alone and families around you and you just feel alone and empty inside, remember, Jesus is there. He is there. 
And he knows and he understands and we have a faithful and merciful high priest. You're never alone. And then this last truth here is you have a message to proclaim. You see, he didn't give it to the angels, he gave it to you. And if Jesus is inside of you, tell others how he can be inside of them too. Remember the message that we have. We have a message that could impact lives for eternity. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. So here I am. Two years later, around Christmas time, I'm thinking about my father who's going to die here soon. And I'm wanting to end my life. I was too chicken to pull a gun. And here's what I hear in my head. Jeremy, Jesus loves you. He died for your sins and was buried and rose again. And Jeremy, if you call upon him, he'll save you. I said, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way God would want me. And those words kept coming back because those were the words that somebody shared with me at college. And I went home that night and I bowed my knee and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and my whole life changed. We have a message that will impact lives for eternity. Share it. You may not see right away what happens. It was 14 years later we talked to that same guy. What, a, what amazing blessing it was. And I'm thankful that he came to me knowing how I felt about God. Because the same Jesus that was made and revealed in the flesh, the same one that was vindicated by the Spirit, the same one that was seen by the angels, the same one that's proclaimed among the world, the same one that's believed upon, and the same one taken up in the glory is the same one living in you to empower you to preach the message to others. Amen. We have a lot to celebrate this Christmas. Let's go do it for his honor and glory. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we thank you so much, Lord. We, we miss this. I couldn't be happier to come to this passage of Scripture right now during this time of the year. It's such a great reminder. It's encouraged my heart. Lord, I, I come to the holidays and you know the depression and discouragement that I struggle with. They're hard. They're reminders of people who we loved here on this earth that are no longer with us. They're reminders of, of some kind of dreams we may have had that will never come to fruition. So many different things that Satan loves to put into our minds. And our souls get discouraged. Father, I pray for each one here today that we're reminded by these great truths that are found here in 1 Timothy 3.16. That you sent your son. He was revealed in the flesh. That he was vindicated in the spirit. That he was seen by the angels. That he was proclaimed on in the world. He was believed on as well. And that he was taken up and he is right now at your right hand. 
And the same Jesus that's there praying and preparing a place for us is the same Jesus by his spirit that is living inside of us. We will never be alone and we will never be forsaken because of him. God, I pray, I beg you. Lord, if there's anyone here today that really hasn't received this message. They don't understand. They say, I, I don't know, who is this Jesus? That they would open up their hearts right now and say, I believe. I believe that he came and he died for me. I believe that he was buried and he rose again. And I want him to come into my life. And I want him to have the throne of my life. So that I can live a life that is God-centered. Father, I thank you so much. And I pray also, Lord, that you give us the boldness and the courage to be able to share this message with others. It's as simple as handing a bag with the gospel in it to somebody else. So help us, Lord, to be faithful in doing that. Because there's so many around us who don't know. Who don't have that. Jesus, don't have Jesus inside of them. Don't, and during this time of the year, they feel so alone and so forsaken that God, help us to preach the message to them and help them to believe. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. Amen. God bless you.